Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. This is Blair Sinta. This week I'm recording this intro from a hotel room just to keep the podcast moving. Uh, I'm talking to Jake Reed this week. Jake is a really fabulous drummer, lives in LA, studied with Peter Erskine, went to USC. He's played with Bill Cunliffe, uh, Seth MacFarlane, Adam Levy, Larry Goldings. Uh, Jake is just a fantastic drummer and he's really got a great YouTube Presence going, uh, talking about recording drums. Uh, you can learn a lot of things there through Jake's website, or sorry, Jake's YouTube. And uh, we just had a really fun conversation. Um, he's recording down in his uh, basement garage here in LA, and we talk a lot about uh, you know his his upcoming upbringing, you know, and and traveling with Peter Erskine to different sessions and learning a lot through that way. And then of course we get into a lot of his recording techniques sounds and things that he's able to do in his room so uh let's check out jake and if you like the podcast please give it ratings uh share it to your friends if you're on youtube please leave comments share it and last but not least uh if you are interested in, in just being involved with what i do you can go to my website and i have a i have a new pdf download for you it's my essential audio gear and uh just Things that people ask me a lot about, uh, microphones, headphones, even my sticks that I like to use. So check that out, www.blairsinta.com. Without further ado, Jake Reed. Yes, here we go. Kirkland, Kirkland's finest. There we go. Oh, wow. Maybe, maybe we can get an ad from Kirkland up front. That'd be great. <laughs> um, Who's to, who sponsors this, this podcast? Costco. <laughs> Costco now selling SM57s. That's right. Hey, at a slightly lower price, but you have to buy a hundred of them. Yeah, yeah, or at least eight of them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you're sorry. Saw, sorry. One. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I saw a picture yesterday of Percaro. Like someone took a picture of Percaro's kit from like the 70s, and there was a 57 on every drum and and overheads. No, the, the the overheads were 57s. I think they were. Yeah. It was like, and then, and then there was like a 421 in the bass drum. Yes. That's, that's my new thing, actually. 421 in the bass drum. I love it. That's what they do at Fox, you know? Yeah. Like family guy and all that stuff. They don't, they're not, they're not putting like three mics on the, it's just, no, it's a 421 in the bass drum. You've been doing some bass drum. Huh? You've been doing some family guy. No, no, no. I went. To a session there once oh i'm not no i'm not about to start uh dropping gig gig names no <laughs> that, well i figured maybe you sub for erskine or something um not on that okay i i i'm not sure that peter does that i, I think he's done family guy i'm not sure no he definitely he he was playing in seth mcfarland's big band so i figured mm -hmm. maybe he did the show too yeah, and I've subbed on that gig a couple times, which okay. was super fun. Okay. But um, I, I bet he's done. I have to go back. I Every once in a while when I do watch Family Guy, I'm like, does that sound like Peter or is that? Yeah. Um, Sorry, to get back to your question, I totally did a tangent there. I'm sorry. No, um, I'm in the basement. I'm in the basement down here. You have a basement? Well, it's kind of like a half basement, like. So this wall back here goes into the earth. Like this is up against. That's good. But the, but the front 
is not. Okay. So it's kind of like. What's the front? Are you looking at something? Yeah. Here, let me show you. This will okay. this will explain things a little further. Like so, there's this wall. Okay. And then it's just outside. Here. Oh. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Oh wow, you got a full window right there, and that's okay. Yeah, I have a uh, blind that comes down. A soundproof like, blind. It's not soundproof, but it's pretty. I mean, it's thick enough to where there's not like, yeah, I wish. <laughs> but the that glass is like I think it's three eighths of an inch thick. Okay. So it's almost it's like studio glass. Do you ever mic the glass? That's kind of a serious question. Honestly, I haven't tried, but I kind of want to now. Okay. See, I'm going to learn more from this podcast. Than For that you glassy Phil Collins sound, man, that late 80s. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> just put, uh, yeah, just put a couple 57s right up against There you that. go. That's right, man. That's right. That's right. That's cool. Who's so the how guy? Wasn't that what they did on like that? Uh, not the glass, but that's like a thing. Like, uh, was it that Robert Palmer song? Simply irresistible. I, uh huh. Right. I seem to remember someone telling me that was like most of that snares, like that drum sound, is like two mics up against a wall. Well, you know, it's funny because the power station thing. I think that's all. I could be wrong. I think it's all Tony Thompson that that era stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. I and, think he's the drummer on that, right? Yeah, I think so. And then, the, but in the whole. Um, Power station, uh, some like it hot. Do, 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 do. Like I that, love that. Like the room is pitched record. down in that. Um, so they were doing all kinds of wacky stuff in that part of that crazy ass sound of that drum thing is the pitched down room. So I didn't know it was pitched down. Yeah, just the room. Wow. Yeah. So it's almost like a, it's almost like a, like a chorusy sort of effect in a weird way. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly, and I've tried to get that sound. I actually did. I did a pretty good job. Made a video of it, and it's. I I, I didn't learn that till after the fact, but there's this super weird grainy thing to it. Uh, that makes sense. It turns out that it's pitched down. So yeah. One sec. Ladies and gentlemen, Jake Reed. There we go. Uh, there we go. So you're in this house. How long have you been in there? We've been here almost six years. Oh, okay. With this yeah. room? With this room. Okay. Which is constantly developing. Do you put this on your YouTube channel? Like if I'm saying like, look at that thing, look at that thing. Yep. Awesome. So you'll get to, yeah, you can. So if I walk around. Yes. And like do a little quick tour. Show us the goods. Yeah. Let me actually, that's a good idea. Can we do that now? Yeah. Let's do that now. Okay. Walk, hey guys. Walk slow for the connection. I know you're gonna help me add personality to my YouTube channel. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so bad. I just, I just, I don't know. I just act funny. There's my wife's car. Pretty cool. Yep. Um. Okay, so here's here's where all the magic happens. Yeah. So it kind of looks like this when I'm sitting here playing. Look like you're in jazz mode right now. I was. Yeah, I was yesterday. I did three tracks for for a guy and uh the third track Ooh, super jazzy i like that. yeah I, I was not playing i wasn't doing anything that's okay i, I have uh, my double kick pedal up it's okay <laughs> i always have it set up yeah 
Yep. Compression. Yeah, so that's this. This this used to be Peter's bass drum. Oh, I recognize that. Yeah. Wow. And it's it's such a nice. So those are some inch. those are some OG recording customs, huh? Well, the yeah this these are just Gretsch toms. Right. But um yeah this kit I have the whole kit of it which I'll show you in a second. I've seen um, it on the on the on the tube. Yeah. Yeah. It, that they're great drums, man. I'm yeah. telling you. I kind of want some. If you can find them, I know, right? I mean, they're pretty awesome. Yeah. They're super rad. Um, okay, so this is where I sit when I play, and then I just do it like I have like Bluetooth. Uh, everything's connected via Bluetooth here, the trackpad and the keyboard. Okay. And then it's just hooked up to my computer over there, and then I have a second screen here. Yep. You know, you know how it is learning how to read waveforms for editing. When, yep. Yep. When no one. <laughs> When no one sends you, well, just when I'm recording too. Oh, um, you know, because if you know, a lot of people, a lot of people don't send charts. So, right. I mean, besides just memorizing it really fast, it's just like also being able to see, like, oh, that that looks like it's like a chorus is about to come up. You wow, know? <laughs> so you don't even learn songs anymore. You've taken it a step further. Home recording. I like it, dude. I'm gonna. I just learned something. Don't even learn the song and just watch the waveform. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's almost like sight reading. It's it's like it's like to me, it's another form of sight reading. Oh, <laughs> this is awesome. I love I'm it. I'm serious. No, it's like I can tell you're serious. It's one thing to like chart it out, but if you can just sight, it's like sight reading, but you're just watching waveforms. <laughs> For all the young drummers that may listen to this, I mean, I don't know what to say. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I love it. But so far, this is the most entertaining podcast I've done. <laughs> you, you win, Jake. This is awesome. No, but I'm being serious. Like I know, I know how to. You know, I know how to read music. And I know you know. I know. <laughs> don't worry. I'm gonna and give I you a good introduction that. before this, so and I would knows. prefer. Yeah, <laughs> and I would actually prefer to to read a real chart right but sometimes when people send me songs to play on and there's like a bunch of hits or something yep. or they want me to replace their drum beat exactly and i don't want to sit there i don't want to spend the first hour of the session like writing like transcribing a drum beat right and like oh they want like because sometimes you know how it is people want you to replace a like their program stuff exactly yeah which i'm totally fine doing that if that's what they want I, like we're in the service industry that's what we do and that's fine right but i would much rather just read it as it goes by on on the screen here right there <laughs> so if you have if you're saying if you have a midi thing you'll literally read the midi notes as they go by heck yeah wow i've yeah. never thought of that i mean it's i like that idea especially on those because sometimes i get um i mean i similar thing i get tracks and sometimes they're like, can you do the exact thing that I programmed? And I'm like, whoa, okay. Great idea. Yeah. yeah. And it's a different thing. Like, you know, if someone wants you to just do your own thing, that's fine too. And in that case, you know, I don't need to sit there and read the screen as it's going by. You know, you can listen to it. and Right. Right. Part, part of, you know, part of being a good sight reader is having a good memory, you know. You mean from, from things you've previously crammed into your brain? Yeah. Well, and also just as you're reading, you're kind of memorizing what's going by. 
so that if there's something in the chart that's missing, you can, you know. That well, that's true, right? Right. Yeah. You go back and you make your note after, right? Because I was exactly thinking, as you were yeah. saying that I was thinking like, wow, my head is like a sieve because if I read things, <laughs> it's like it's like wait, now I have to read it forever, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's no, I know what you mean, no, but, but you're you're learning as you go and you make your marks later to say, okay, hey, this is this hit's coming up or this dynamic change is coming up. Set it up right with the right fill. Yeah, or like you know they or like. Whoever wrote this chart, the copyist forgot to put this one hit in there. Right. This one rhythm. So I need to go back in and, you know, right. I got to make a note of that because right. I should catch that. Right. Um, so, yeah. So that's that's where I sit. You saw the what it looks like. I'll give you the quick tour here. Hopefully I don't get disconnected. There's all my percussion stuff. Move slow. We're good. We're good. Yep. I just built this shelf. Oh, wow. Look so at that. My, my dad came to town mm -hmm. last week. And we built a shelf. Do you play tabla? I don't. I just bought these. <laughs> and I'd like to learn, though, because they're so cool. And every once in a while, people ask if I can play, like, hey, do you have tabla? Can you play on this? And I'm like, not. I'm so bad at tabla. Yeah. I, don't even, I don't even. It sounds good. I kind of just play them like congas. <laughs> right. Right. No, they, they do make a cool tone, if even if when you're lame and you just hit it. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I kind of do my lame version but it's all about the sound so right i would like to learn and i kind of learned like you know like that kind of stuff a long time ago but i should get some lessons if you know anyone if anyone out there gives tabla lessons there's this, okay, guy so named, then, there's this guy named zakir hussein you should probably look him up does he give lessons <laughs> not not to people like us <laughs> so here's the drum hallway drums nice Yep. Drum machines. Yep. Casting heads. Cool. Um, hopefully I don't lose you here. If I do, I'm Lots sorry. Yep. Snare drum wall. Snare, snare drum wall. Yep. It's a mess because I just Love put it. the shelf in. So. Great. You know what my project is later today? Yeah. Keeping a tidy studio. So this is, that's basically it. All right. So. Oh, and I'll show you. Go my ahead. wife plays piano mm -hmm. and keyboards. Oh, wow. Beautiful. So her room is here. There's the piano. Uh, her room is so much nicer than yours. I know. I know. <laughs> well, it's a thing. I, I, I get it. I get it. So that's her room. Anyway. So wait, you put a mic in there sometimes? Wait, all right, wait. I do. I'll, I'll ask you this later. Okay, so your room is very small. Tell me about recording in your room. And because I know that you're getting really good sounds, tell me, yeah. uh, so tell me about the room and your challenges in there. Okay, so the first challenge of my room is it's small. Mm -hmm. um, let me just put this back up in here. First challenge of my room is that it's small and the ceilings are low. You know, it's not a very, I wish that's like the one thing I wish I had a high, higher ceiling, but the ceiling's only about seven and a half or eight feet tall, yep. something like that. Yep. And the whole room I think is about uh, 12 by 18. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the the pro of that whole situation, pros and cons, it's super tight sounding in here. So if you need that, like I just did that sample pack, super dead drums. Yep. It's like if you're in here and you need that sound. Yep. I can do that. Right. You know, like no problem, like with minimal amounts of processing. Right. 
it just automatically sounds like that. That's great. Um, but yeah, the con of all of that is if I need anything with nice ambience or like a bigger room sound, yep, I have to get creative, which is part of having a home studio is getting creative with how you do how you get sounds, you know. Right. So what's your what are your whatever your what are your creative moves there, brah? So a couple of creative moves to get when I gotta get bigger sounds or just more space. Um I'll put a mic in Kate's room or you know, a stereo mic. Mm-hmm. Um and her room sounds I mean, if I went in there and clapped, you know, you'd be like, Oh, that does sound nice. So um, you you can still get a stereo image even though it's around the corner, kind of? Not really. Okay. But at least it's two mics, you know. Okay. Um, and it's ambient. And it's ambience. Yeah, it's basically like natural reverb, you know. Right, okay. Um, it's not, yeah, I wouldn't call it like a nice stereo, like you're in a big studio or something. Right, okay. Um, but it does the trick. For but that's, that's what things. reverb is for. <laughs> right. Yeah, it is. Um, so that's one move. A second move is I have a transient designer here, yep. just like outboard. You have one too, right? That's that's the key to everything for me. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I that's I probably learned that from you. <laughs> you might have. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's the thing. I, I do that. Um, I have an eleven seventy eight. Um, Excellent. Yeah. Which I'll just put on rooms, which sounds awesome. Yep. Um, sometimes I have to be careful about it because. Some people don't like it when you over compress the rooms and yep. Yep, you so I try to leave them. I try to leave them alone. Yeah. Uh, most of the time, unless I get like, you know, creative freedom to when someone says, yeah, just do it. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. but you're saying it. <laughs> right. 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 Um, and well, then you know, I think usually it fits the drum sound too. Right. Yeah. So. Like, it, yeah, it's like, if it's going to get compressed anyway, yeah. And it actually helps because then when you're listening to yourself playing that way, right? You, you know how it is. Like you know not to hit the cymbals as hard, things like that. Yeah, and it's not like you're gonna send some big band, roomy big band thing with, with super compressed mics that you just wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But it's um, musically appropriate compression. Right, right. So that's another thing I'll do. Um, sometimes I'll put a a mic down the hallway. Okay. Where we just were. Yep. Sometimes I'll I'll put a mic in the garage, which was you saw where that fan was blowing. Okay, that's probably a cool sound. It's a very cool sound. Um, so sometimes, like on some really like, you know, grungy sounding rock stuff, or yeah. that's I did that a couple weeks ago on a um like a guy sent me a song. He was like, "Here's the, it's kind of a you know like, you know '90s like early 2000s rock." And here's the ref. And I didn't even listen. I didn't even click on it. I knew it was going to be that Blur song. Right. Uh, <laughs> song number two. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I listened to his uh, to the, the song yeah. first before right. I clicked on the reference. I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Right, right, so right. Like that, and that worked. It sounds. It sounded awesome. So, yeah. Have you ever actually put a kit in the garage with, like, two mics? Man, I haven't. I bet it's awesome, though. You got to get brave one day and uh... – like just for one take, know the song, go out there, kill, annoy your neighbors, and then just be done. Literally, garage rock. Literally. Well, you know, um, I don't know if you've seen the. There's like a YouTube thing of uh, uh, 
Bradley Cook talking about recording the song My Hero for the Foo Fighters' Color and a Shape. And there's it's a double drum track. It's all Dave, but it's a double drum track. And the second uh, drum track is them. They went into the like this parking lot thing of Grandmaster and did the drums in there. So the the double tracked drum is that super trashy garage. I have to watch that video. Yeah, it's on. It's on uh, Produce Like a Pro. Just look up Bradley Co- Cooper. My hero, something. Not the actor, Bradley Cooper. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bradley Cook. Bradley Cook. Oh, my Bradley Cook. Okay. Yeah, my bad. Sorry. Thank you for. I thought there was. I thought that was that was his name. <laughs> yeah, no, that was early in his career. He was an engineer. Yeah, no. Before. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Thank um, you for correcting me. That's bad. Bradley Cook. Yes. Yeah. Man, I gotta check that out. That's super cool. I'm gonna do that one day. Yeah. That'll be like a. That'll be great Instagram content. All right. I want to come over and hear it while you're doing it. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I get, I wonder. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, you know, we have a C3 organ, Hammond C3 in the garage. That's the only place it'll fit. Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever Kate has to overdub organ on something, our, our Leslie and everything's just in our garage. I have some, I have some gobos that I can put around it. You ever put a mic through the Leslie? I, I haven't yet, but I want to. You have to get like a special pedal for it, right? I don't actually know. I think that there's like, and I haven't been able to find a good one yet. Okay. Which is why I haven't done it. But I, I, I believe there's like a special pedal you have to get. It's like an old, it looks like a giant, uh, like just a giant box, you know? Okay. And I, was, I believe. That's I, funny. Believe I was going to get on your you, case. I was going to get on your case while you hadn't done it yet. But now you're telling me. I didn't, I didn't know that you needed. I, I think so. I'm pretty How sure. Did, how does um how does the organ hook up to a Leslie? Is it quarter inch to the speaker? No, the, it's like a special like, uh, it's got like eight little okay prongs plugs that yeah prongs. It's like a whole thing. Okay, but that and that's why I think you have to have this special thing. Okay, to but get I want to do it as soon as it, I find a good one. Yeah. All the ones on Reverb are like, yeah, buy this uh, pedal. It's four hundred dollars, but it's broken. Right, and I'm just like, ugh. Like, right, right. Surely someone's got to have a good one. I'll, I'll look again though. But that's something I do want to. I would love to have one of those, or just cool. have it. Have the Leslie just to put anything else through. Right. Exactly. You know. Yeah. You um, a whole second guitar career, like just guitar through Leslie. Yeah. 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 Wow. Soundgarden style. Just. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I'm the guy that does that. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, okay. So one thing I was curious about with you was you, you graduated from USC, correct? I went to grad school there. So I did a master's and doctorate there. What? You have a doctorate? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. Everyone knows now. Um, I do, I do have a doctorate. Okay. Did you do recording at all while you were there? Minimal. I took. I mean, I was always recording, like doing sessions. Right. That's not the question. <laughs> but that's not the question. The question is, did I do recording classes? And I took one class there that was like intro to Pro Tools. Okay. In like 2010. Okay. And that was based, and that's why I use Pro Tools. I tried using Logic and I just couldn't, I couldn't get it together on Logic. 
Right. Okay. I tried. Um, but yeah, it was like, and that's basically, it wasn't even really like learning recording techniques. Most of that I just learned from asking engineers questions and right. trying not to be too annoying about it. Okay. So I, I was just curious if there was any school training on your engineering or anything, but it's, you're just fully like, a, not really. Yeah. Not, not nothing formal. Right. Okay. I would say, um, but they do have classes at USC that go more into depth about that. I was always just taking drum lessons. Yeah. I, I've, actually, I've actually, um, done a little guesting uh, a couple times in those. Like oh, in, cool. In the first days of those classes, like, uh, obviously not last year, but a couple of years before that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't know if you had done that. Uh, so you went down this path totally on your own. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And the reason it started is because right around then in 2010, um, I had a couple of composer friends here in town, like film composers who were like, Hey, can you record drums at your house? Or, and at that time I was in a little apartment mm -hmm. and I was like, no, but I can figure it out. <laughs> right. right. So, um, so I had like a digi 002, you know, which has like four mic inputs in it. Yep. And it was like two overheads, kick and snare. Wow. And uh, Peter Erskine lo basically loaned me some microphones that he had. Okay. And and was just like, here you go. You can borrow these. You know, so that's what I used. I had, and I was like a, it was a Beta 52, um, a Beta 57. Mm-hmm. And he had two, I don't even know, they're like Bayer Dynamic 703s or something like that. They're like small diaphragm condensers. Okay. Which actually sound really good. Yep. Um, and that's all I had. Okay. And a laptop. Right. And everything besides that, that, you know, that was, I just, that's what I started with. Before that in Cincinnati, I didn't really do a lot of like, self-recording i mean i was doing the the little amount of session work that was there i would do recording every once in a while right um but i you know i was like experimenting with stuff in garage band before right. that right the early days of garage band so, but, so you're you're you studied with peter but that was only at school did you never went to his house or or did you well the first the, the way I met Peter was I did this thing called the Henry Mancini Institute, okay, um, which was at UCLA, and I did I did that in like two thousand five, no two thousand six, okay, and that's how I met him. So that's the, that was the first time I went to his house for a lesson because he was just one of the per, one of the teachers at this thing, okay. Um, but then the first two or three years I was at USC, he still taught at home in his home studio. So I would go out there every week and I was also his teaching assistant. Oh, no way. Yeah. I was his teaching assistant for like five years. Um, so, okay. Yeah. So it was like, I was going out there a lot okay. to either help him, uh, with just stuff in his studio or, um, I would go to sessions with him, you know, which was really that. I mean, I think I, probably learned more from doing that than anything else I ever did at school. <laughs> and that is huge. I got to say, 
that is massive that you got to go watch him do real life stuff and be in a room, not being a watch him do it, be in a room, observe engineers, observe how sessions work, the whole thing. And everyone was so cool about it too. I mean, Peter would be like, Hey, uh, you know, whoever, Hey, Al, you know, can, can you get an extra pair of headphones so Jake can hear my mix when we're doing this, you know, Al Schmidt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or, yeah. or whoever probably what he probably didn't ask Al directly, but right. Right. You know, right. Um, but yeah, lots of things. And I got to go to a lot of the studios. Yep. Um, you know, like the village or East West or Capitol yep. with him. Um, and it was, that was such a, that was so invaluable to just be able to sit there and like just watch and listen, you know, to how, how hard he was playing in different situations or like where he plays, you know, how he's able to play in front or behind the click or right on, you know, how to do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, sight reading, like, you know, little notes that he would make just little things like that. Um, in addition to just, you know, taking lessons with them where we just would talk about music or, you know, drum, like maybe something that was very drum specific, like a, an exact beat. Right. Or maybe something more uh, conceptual. Yep. But that was fun. That, and yeah. And he's so he's such a great teacher and right. person, you know, right. He's so giving. Right. Um. Did you end up um, making any relationships with engineers during any of those? You know what? One of one of the sessions I went to with Peter was um, for a movie called Tower Heist. Okay. I don't know if you remember, if you remember that movie. I, I, I mean, the title the, the title sounds familiar. It's like ten years old now, yeah. and it was uh, Christoph Beck was the composer. Okay. And the two, the session was literally. Erskine and JR, double drums. Wow. At in East West too. Right. Um, and it was just them all day playing together. But one of the assistants on that session was this guy named Will Onspock. Okay. And he was just an assistant at the time, but now he's he's a great engineer in town. Um, does a lot of mixing and recording and um but that's where I met him was that day. And since then we've just been like really good friends cool. all these years later. So that was like, yeah, you, I'm trying to think of who else. I mean, I just met a lot you of met a lot of guys. Yeah. But I was, yeah. but I was curious, like if you, if you ended up with a relationship with, with guys and yeah. 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 Like will. And that's, that's really what it's all about for me is the community of it all. The yeah. Meeting people, friends, yeah. you know, just like this. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and the only reason, the reason we know each other is we got to double drum together a, a lot. So, Oh my yeah. God. So meta. Yeah. It's full circle now. Right. Hey. <laughs> yep. With Andrew Sinewick. Yep. Yep. And his band. Yep. So fun. That was like three years ago, four years ago. Was it 2018 or 17? 18. It's, it's gotta be 18. I think we yeah. had it done one in 19. Right. We did one in 19 and then things shut down. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but um, yeah, that's how we met. Um, so, okay. So at home, you know, I've seen, and we can, this will be a general question. I've obviously seen that 
you know, you're getting a lot of like cool sounds out there, gated reverb stuff, dry stuff, jazzy stuff, whatever. What's your kind of process for figuring out how to make the sounds sound as they should sound? How's that for a sentence? I love that. Yeah. How to make the sound sound as they should sound. Yeah. My process, I should say, maybe it's not, again, I don't know if this is like textbook or not. It's just my experience um, and being trapped in my room all day long for <laughs> so long now. Like we is, do. I always, what I've found, because I've had other people ask me this, I found that I usually go in order of signal chain. So, like, I usually start with the drums, right? Like, yeah. if I need to get a certain sound, I always start with trying to get the drum, like, get the sound from the drums as, as best as I can. Right. Knowing that maybe a few steps later, if I put a compressor on it, it's going to react in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Or if I tune a snare drum a certain way, how that's going to react with reverb or a certain type of reverb. Mm -hmm. Um. Like yesterday, with this bebop kit, the snare was kind of tuned a little higher and, and ringy and wide open, but I knew that it there was going to be a fair amount of reverb on it because that's what the guy wanted, you know, sort of like a um, like an ECM record or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I just kind of knew that if I tune the drum that way and keep it wide open, um. And, and then, you know, mix it in a certain way to where there's not a lot of close mic, but it's more of a room thing or more, more overheads right. that it's going to, it's going to sound as it's going to, on the other side, when it comes back through the speakers at me, it's going to sound a certain way. Yep. yep. Um, so I always start, I start with the drums first and get those sounding how I want them to as close as I can. Yeah. And then, and then from there, it's like Mike placement and mic choice um usually i have this xy setup going okay. just because in my room i've tried doing a space pair and it just doesn't sound as good in my particular room okay um i do i like to do ortf which sounds really good in here yeah but every time i try to space them apart and get like a wider stereo image it never quite it doesn't sound as good to me for whatever reason. Like, I don't know if it's just a phase thing or what, or just how things are reflecting in my room. Yeah, I would imagine it's that, because you see that, that kind of table right next to you, and maybe that's something's coming off there affecting that. You know? yeah, it could, it, yeah, I'm not really sure. But, yeah. you know, sometimes I'll leave the doors open, you know, just to get more ambience or... Right. right. Oh, and a lot of that has to do with uh, dynamics. Right. You know, how loud or soft I... I choose to play the drums. Yep. To get to get a certain sound. You know how that is. Yep. Yep. Um, would you like, talk about so when you were going to sessions with Erskine, would you talk about any of this stuff, or was it all just observation? Like he was in business mode, he was in session mode, or see the cool thing is most of the time I would drive him to the sessions and back. Okay. Like it would be like a whole thing. Not that I would. I didn't go to like hundreds of sessions, but I went to a fair amount with him. Sure. And the cool thing is I, I would just observe and just let him work. But then like on the drive back, okay, it would be like, so Peter, why, like, why did you do that? What, 
why were you, why did you make that choice? Or, you know, he would just start talking about how he played or, you know, just anything. Right. Um, so yeah, a lot of, and, so, and sometimes it would be, sometimes it would be stuff that would come up in lessons. Like I, one thing that sticks out of my mind, speaking of dynamics is one time he said, Hey, like I was recording something on his drums and he's like, okay, you got to be sure that with this setup, when you're playing that way, you got to hit the floor, Tom, a little harder mm-hmm. than, than you normally would, because it, it's further away from the overhead mics. So to really make it speak the same way as a rack, Tom, you know, you got, you got to just lay into that drum a little more than you think you should. Right. So kind of a minimal miking thing, right? Where you have to play evenly so the mics hear it the way you, the way you want. Yeah. Yeah. Just little things like that. Right. Um, or like, that's, you know, that's a huge piece of knowledge and it's something that you would probably discover down the road on your own. But if you get in that situation, you're like, Oh, right. There's a little gem that was handed to me. And, you know? and the thing is, he told me that very early on mm. in our lessons, like when I really wasn't even thinking about, I, I wasn't even deep into like recording yet. Right. It was just like, Hey, if you ever get called to do this, you got you know, like this is just a little thing because most of our lessons were he would record. Okay. You know, because he out. had he had everything set up in his yep. studio at all times. Yep. And a lot of it was very real world. Like I remember, remember earlier when you and I were talking about sight reading and memorizing stuff. Yep. Like one of our first lessons, I've told this story a bajillion times, but I'll do it again here because it's so to me it's so important. Right. Um. There was a chart that someone had sent him, like a big band, and it was just like a jingle, like something really silly. Um, and the chart had no information on it, horn right. hits or anything. Right. And so he's like, why don't you go over there and uh, sight read this chart? So I did, and he and I was playing along with the drum, just like what they had sent him to record on. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I did, I sounded pretty bad. It wasn't very good at all. You know, because there was no information on the chart. And I'm sitting there playing through it. And I'm like, huh, all this stuff's going by and it's not on the chart. Right. You know, and so it's it's hard to create a shape, an arc, you know, over like a 90 second jingle. Right. Um, so I did it again. He's like, okay, let's try again. And I did it again. Maybe I had remembered like one hit that happened in like bar 16 or something. Right. And then the third time through, I got like halfway through the, the track and he just stopped the, the track and he's like, how come you don't know this by now? Hmm. Like, how do you, how have you not memorized this whole thing by now? It's your third time through. It's the third take. I'm just like, I, I was just like, honestly, I don't know. I mean, there's nothing on the chart. And he's like, well, here's a pencil, like write everything down in the chart. And, and I was like, well, how did you memorize it so fast? <laughs> And he just goes, and this is the like the lesson to take away. He just goes, because I pay attention. Bam. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I was like, your so your level of paying attention is like just so far above right. what I think means paying attention. Right. Like to him, he's just like absorbing all of it. Everything he's hearing, everything he's reading. And he's able to put it together. And that's why he's such a great sight reader. It's not because he's so good at reading rhythms. Right. 
you know, that's just one small piece of it. Right. He's, he's listening so intently, you know, and memorizing everything that's going by and, you know, he's done it so much that helps, but does he know that, that was you, like, does he know that you could read waveforms now? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's just evolving. It's just us evolving as right, uh, right. musicians. Right. Um, but that was a big lesson. That was a, that was a big takeaway. Well, that's, that. yeah, that's huge because that is, um, again, that's something that like, you know, somebody's pointing out to you. And it fast tracks your brain to like, oh, if I want to get to that level, I better get on this. This Yeah. This And I feel like honestly, I'm still working on being able to do that. Well, you know, we're all working on all kinds of things always, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I had a but I have was... a, I have a Erskine lesson story too, which is slightly similar, but also at his house and reading a chart. It was it was kind of funny. You know what I mean? It was much it was, it was probably in like 2010 and I went there. I don't need to tell the whole story, but whatever. I went there because I was like, I, I need to like some guidance right now. You know what I mean? And I'd done a significant amount of things by then, but I played through a track and I was just like, so, you know, what do you think? Well, he's like, well, he's like, I didn't even turn the click on and you did fine. You know what I mean? I was like, okay. And we just end up talking the rest of the time. It was kind of it was kind of cool, but it was the idea that like that's how he throws you in and and puts the chart in front of you, you know. So, all right, we don't need to talk about Erskine the whole time, but even <laughs> no, but a lot of the lessons, a lot of, and the thing I love about the way he teaches is a lot of it is real world stuff. You know, it's like stuff that he's encountered. Yeah. Um, you know, and it turns into a lesson to help you. So that when you encounter that same problem in a real session yeah. or in a real work situation, right. you don't completely fold. And honestly, a lot of the stuff, and I've told him this, so he knows, but it's like a lot of the times the lessons are stuff that tripped him up in, in real life. Right. You know, so he, and it's sort of like, he doesn't want that to happen to you. Right. Or any, any of his students. So he makes a lesson out of it. Right. You know, which is pretty selfless and it's also just amazing i mean it's just such a great way to learn yeah well that's what lessons should be real world information yeah it's not like learning calculus and you're like okay i'm never going to use this when i get out of school or working through a book that you will never play on a real gig exactly or like learning fills or just things where you're just like okay that's a complicated fill right that i'll probably never have to use yeah 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 yeah, things like that but yeah that's so obviously you, you were able to take a lot of that learning style and bring it to your stu- studio to learn engineering and just be, you know, like as a session drummer from home. Here, You know, here's the thing I find is that, um, you know, we all work at home so much now that the community aspect of not only working together and at a certain pace and things like that, you know, I, I encounter a fair amount of people now that, don't run their sessions that way. Don't know how to communicate. And, you know, sometimes I have to like go, okay, I'm going to help guide this thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, like, um, 
that kind of real world session experience and then bringing it home. So not only can you conduct your own session, like, like, okay, I got X amount of time to get this done. I'm going to get my sound. I'm going to play the tune in a proper amount of time. But if you have a client or clients over to be able to run the session, because you are not only the drummer, but the engineer, it's your room, the gear is your responsibility. You don't want to look like an idiot. Like when it, if it, if you can't figure out something that's not working, cause that happens, you know, it totally happens. Yeah. But that those kind of observations you were able to make in those situations is is huge. Yeah, yeah, and I mean I don't I don't have all the answers, I, but I think it's the process. You know, it's the it's the it's the process of being able to it's problem solving. You know, right. We do that every day, and that's a lot of what engineering is. That's a lot of what drumming is. Right. So if you can be um, humble enough to like realize that you don't know everything mm -hmm. and and also like be aware enough in the moment to where you can be like okay uh like problem solving like okay if it's not or troubleshooting if it's not this then it might be this might be an issue or like if someone wants this sort of sound like in the moment like you might you might have an idea for a song and you play it and they're like yeah that's not really what i was envisioning or whatever mm -hmm. or can we make it sound more like this then it's like you got to be you got to be willing to figure it out in the moment like the other day i did a session it wasn't at my studio it was at another guy's place mm -hmm. and i was replacing a loop i was re like for a hip-hop thing uh -huh. i was because the thing is he like used like devil lock on this loop that he had gotten from somewhere mm -hmm. and it made the symbols sound way too compressed right because that's what happens when right. you're just taking a a, a loop and compress it yeah. So it was like I was I was just playing the ride cymbal really light and he's like, Oh, it's still like too loud. And I'm like, man, I'm like playing is literally like an inch off the cymbal, you know? Yeah. And so finally I'm like, Do you have like a chopstick or anything like that? Just something really and so <laughs> So I played the ride cymbal with a chopstick, you know? Yep. And he's like, That's perfect, you know. It, it's just like in the moment, like, oh man, like, okay, I'm playing as soft as I can and it's still not working. Like you just get creative. Like just what, I mean, I was about to like play the ride symbol with like my finger or something. Yeah. yeah. But you still um, need the tonal, the tonal aspect of the wood uh, tool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I tried, and I tried using like the butt end of a brush, mm -hmm. but it was like too metallic sounding. Sound. Yep. Yep. Um, just so that was just like an example because it, it happens all the time, you know, and I'm sure you encounter that too, where it's like, you're just in the moment, you have to solve the problem, figure it out. You know? I mean, I think that's really, for me, that's half the fun of session work, session work that I get to do. And then recording myself also is just going you know, like having different tools at my disposal and making like literally what you're talking about. Like, well, like I often use like a broom, like the broom stick in on, on the snare, but then something different on the hat, because if you use them as a pair, they're not really make like, that's not making the cymbal sound that you need. You right. Know? And that's a pretty much a go-to at this point, but there was a decision making process at a certain point where I was like learning how to make different sounds of like, Oh, these things, they're cool when you do one thing, but if you have to play a beat, they're not working together. So what, what are the things that sound cool together? And those combinations of 
different types of sticks. Like I, you know, that's what I eat up. Yeah. And then you file it away when it works. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, okay, mental note that works. And then you do it like 20 more times. And then when that situation comes up the 21st time, you're just like, without even thinking about it, you just, you're like that. Okay. I know this is going to sound perfect right. on this song. And then whoever you're working for is like, wow, that sounds perfect. Right. And, and they, they, sometimes they, they don't even notice. I mean, they, they notice that it sounds right, but they don't, they don't care yeah. what you're doing. They're just like, cool. Yeah. Thanks. That works. But if, but if you did it, if hadn't you known to do that, they would be sitting there going something about this. Like that just sounds too, like there's just too much attack on the snare or something like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they would be sitting and they don't know, right. but when you just do the right thing without thinking about it, that that's the whole thing we're trying to go for. Right. Is right. Just to make it sound like whatever you play belongs in that track. Right. You know, at that moment. So yeah, I, and yeah, I know you're totally like in that same headspace has nothing to do with chops either <laughs> or drum stuff. You no. know, I just had to like reiterate that. <laughs> um, do you th- so you have a lot of like I've just seen through YouTube, Instagram, whatever. You have a lot of cool like drum kits. You could dredge drum drip, the the recording customs, you know, other things. Did your did your drum buying process like kind of accelerate, you know, it because of your studio and going like, oh, I need I need this sound. I need like that power. Yep. Yeah. Well, when I moved here, I basically moved to LA and had. When I moved here from Cincinnati, I packed up my, I had a Saturn Ion at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, I packed everything into that car that I could and moved here. Like I just drove here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a little bebop kit in the car mm-hmm. and like a Yamaha Maple Custom Absolute. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, and it was like only a 20 inch bass drum and like the snare, basically both snare drums were the same size. Yep. They're both maple kits. Right. And I had like three or four cymbals total. Yeah. And, but, you know, yeah, basically being here and someone says, hey, can you play on this rock track of mine? And he's to sound like huge. And then you have, you're like, yeah, but I only have like an 18 inch bass drum or, <laughs> you know, right. which you can make an 18 sound pretty big if you know what you're doing. 18s are some of my favorite. Yeah. But yeah. for the thing that they were going for, they had a specific sound in mind. Sure. You need a 22. Right. You know, you can do it with a 20 kind of, but right. You know, part of it was just that having that big. And I was like, okay, I need to get a bigger bass drum. Yeah. I need bigger drums. Yep. Yep. You know, so that just sort of started that process of, Oh, I need this thing now to get that sound so that when it happens again, I'm not just caught like, you know, not knowing what I'm doing. <laughs> right. And, and like, did, did you have a similar thing with microphones? Are you, are you switching mics a lot or are you kind of, they kind of have their places like your overheads are your overheads or, or are you switching? Um, for the most part, I kind of leave things. Mm-hmm how they are unless someone has something very specific that they want like there's this one producer i work for and pretty much every time they're like hey can you use the coals for overheads and do like a glenn johns thing mm-hmm. and i'm like okay that's cool yeah. 
Yeah. So unless someone has something really specific, um, like I said, I tried to start with just the drums first and then. Right. Because, you know, once you get things kind of like in phase and working together in a, in a good way, I hate to like disturb that too much. I mean, that should between just your drum sound off the floor and then where you set your mics, that should be 90%. Yeah. Yeah. Unless obviously yeah. you you need like the you know gated reverb Phil Collins thing, then that's that's a different story. But I think nine times out of ten, that's your drum sound, right there. Yeah, and I also think like um, you know just the amount of variables in any one situation, like the more variables you introduce, the less my ears are going to go like I know what this is going to sound like on the other side of, you know, of the glass, so to speak, you know? So you're talking, what, what you mean is like by, by switching mics around. If I change too many things yeah. before I even record a note, mm. um, you know, then it, it starts, things get out of focus for me. Whereas like, I would rather just keep the microphone set up first and set up the drums that I know I need to get that sound and then go, okay, now what's missing from this, puzzle mm -hmm. like oh maybe if i move the maybe if i move the position of the overheads it'll get more of the sound i'm going for mm -hmm. um maybe i need to put a microphone in the other room um maybe this happened a couple weeks ago like usually i have 414 set up just on toms because i like them they sound good to me yep they they make uh they're they're nice to symbols you know yes which sometimes doesn't isn't always the case with 421s right um but this particular producer was like hey i don't want to have to gate my toms uh we're going for like a really specific like 70s sound yep um and i was like okay i'll use 421s on the toms that's cool yep you know so i just swapped them out and it was no big deal and it sounded great you know just like little things like that where it's like i know he didn't he didn't want to have he and he wanted it to be very focused you know so like he didn't want a lot of bleed yep getting into those uh 414s you know a lot a lot of spillage from other cymbals or other drums right and so that's why i was like easy like use 421s instead yep like because he didn't want to gate anything so just little things like that yeah um, that that's kind of my evolving thing right now is understanding not only the drums but the what mics I own and in what setups and they can do certain things. And it takes a lot of experimenting. And some of it's, some of it I figured out because I've, I've demoed mics for certain companies and it's forced me to go like, Oh, do they work here? Do they work here? Blah, blah, blah. But it's been cool because, um, you know, some sounds that I've discovered are even like, let's say tighter, like my, my M one sixties in a ORTF, sound really tight and i was like oh okay so if i need that that's a great way to go you know what i mean those specific mics in that position yep yeah big time yeah um yeah because they're like hyper cardioid so they're super tight sounding or like on hi-hat you know like just yeah yeah those m160s are great yeah um 
or 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 brighter or brighter mics for like a rock thing. It's like I, it's really got to be exciting and bright. So not yeah. only am I going to have bright symbols, but I'm going to use brighter microphones. So it's just like, yeah, yeah. So like one thing I'll do is, and I'm sure you've experimented with this because it's a pretty common thing, is having like a 57 and a 451 on snare top. Mm -hmm. Um, and I I basically always have those two set up. Not that I'm always using both of them, right? But like yesterday on this guy's session i just think because it just happened mm -hmm. um it was like one of the things was very like only twos and fours on the snare like big fat sound um so like i pulled that 451 way down like it was just like i only need the 57 to get this thing yep you know but then very next song was like bebop city and you know, with the 451s, they're they're a lot more responsive, and they pick up all those little ghost notes that you play, and like when you're playing jazz, mm -hmm. it picks up all those little notes really well, and it's very crisp and detailed sounding compared to a 57. Right. So like, I use more of that mic. I use more of the 451 than I did the 57 for that thing. Right. Not compressed. And, what's that? The 451 is not compressed. Not no, not for that. Okay. But sometimes I will, like, you know, like for uh, if I want this, if I want to get some hair on it or something. Yeah. Put it through like one of these uh, channels on the 1178 here. Right. So sometimes you're using the two snare mics as as in combination, but you're also just making a sonic choice of like, oh, this is the right snare mic for this track. Yeah. And I'll, I'm recording both of them, but then I'm just kind of moving faders up and down when yeah. we're listening back. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing how even just that one little thing can help shape every every choice you make shapes the sound. Right. Yeah. So just making those little decisions. Can sometimes make just enough of a difference to, like, make something sound convincing, you know. Right. Totally. Yep. Yep. Yeah, man. I love it. And what, what I see that FET. Is that an actual Neumann FET? It is, but it's one of the reissue ones. Or I think they call it collector's edition. It's not a vintage one. You like it? It's good? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? The other day, I did a session at a, at a different guy's house, and they had one of the Flea 47s. I don't know if it's a FET mic. Are the Flea the uh, – I'd have to look it up. I don't know if it's the like a Tube 47 or a – Okay. It's basically like – this company flea it's their version whoa hey i haven't i don't know that company it sounded awesome though it was amazing okay so i that's one company where i would say like they they can do that really well i i have to check out some of the other there's so many um companies do their version of it now you know yeah there's a i feel like there's a lot of consumer uh like consumer friendly fet mics out there now where it used to be like <laughs> you either had the Neumann or <laughs> or you didn't. Yeah. Yeah. You either had to spend 6000 bucks or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They're not, um, they're not cheap. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have a D12 next to that, like an old D12. Oh, yeah. You That's another mic where it's like it sounds great, but sometimes if somebody wants something more modern sounding, I have other kick mics that are like more modern sounding or like, you know, that are – kind of like pre-EQ'd, pre-scooped sounding right. kick mics. Yeah, the D12 is very specific to me. Yeah. It's a very defined sound. Uh, 
of what it is. But man, it's especially if you want the Beatles sound or like on seventies, like single headed kick mic, like you got back there. Like that is like that's like oh yeah, yeah there it is right here we go cool. It's and, and it's amazing. And I have like a DBX one sixty here. Yep. You know, which half the most of the time, if I use that on kick, like the needle's like not even moving. Right. You just kind of see the red light every once in a while. Yep. <laughs> yeah, because you can easily destroy your kick drum sound if you if you rock that thing a little too much. Yeah, but somehow it sounds amazing. It just adds like a little bit of like point to it. Yep. Without doing very much at all. Right. So, but that's that's another in combination with that D12 on a single headed kick drum. Right. What um what are your overheads there? Those are DPA 4011s. Um, do you know DPA, the company DPA? No. Nope. They're a, a Danish company. Okay. And they make, they're basically like reference style mics. Okay. So they're, they're very flat. Okay. There's not like any weird bumps in the frequency spectrum. Um, and this engineer, Rich Breen, who I, he's got some of the most amazing ears and just mixing sensibilities out of all the guys I know, um, he, he recommended those and they, they're so, they're just nice. They just sound good, you know? And for me, like a lot of times overheads that I, I don't really mess with the overheads that much Okay. when I'm recording. Um, if someone else is mixing it, um, or someone else is going to be processing the mics. Right. So you stay, really, you stay in XY pretty much with those mics. Yeah, or ORTF if I want it just a little wider sounding. Right. Um, right. I just, yeah, I, I don't mess with them very much because to me, that's just like a nice sound. It's like a nice home base for the whole drum set. Yeah. So um, you, uh, um, sorry. I was I had to check something else, so I lost my train of thought here. It's okay. <laughs> uh, you uh, so you you're you're pulling drums out, but you're just mostly pulling the mics away and just setting setting the most of the mics back up. That's kind of what I do too, unless I yeah, unless I have the yeah. opportunity to get very specific. And honestly, you go to any studio in town, right? Most of the time, that's those are the mics they're going to have set up. Um. Yeah, well, I just mean like for any old session. Like, wait, where my where'd it go? There we go. You walk in, it's like okay, maybe a D one twelve on the kick. You know, forty that forty seven on the, uh, also on the kick fifty seven on the snare. Right, right. Um, I also find that like certain studios, you know, you're going to get a lot of things. So Sunset Sound, you're going to see a lot of sixty sevens. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's you know? like 67 city over there. <laughs> like, you go to East West, they're going to have C12s on the overheads. Exactly. That's yeah. just And so it's just like most studios in town already do that. They they have sort of like their go-to. Yeah. Unless the engineer specifies like what they want or right. they or so many mics are in use at that time that they have to resort to some some other choice. Right, right. Yeah, I had that at East West recently. There was a there was a mic battle going on between a diff couple different rooms. <laughs> yeah, it's like if they have an orchestral session in one room, and you're in like Studio Three or something, 
you're you're getting the bottom of the barrel. No, yeah. <laughs> I mean that's a relative term, but yes, you're yeah. yeah. Yeah, bottom and by bottom of the barrel, I mean you you know you have to use the forty uh, nines or whatever you know for rooms exactly. in, yeah. instead of. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, too bad. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I just kind of keep them set up. But then what I'll do is I'll sometimes I'll have like just a mono overhead. Yep. You know that then I can smash that or destroy it or affect it somehow and that that could become a vibe and then i can just mute mute those or pull them way down in the mix yep yep and but then if i send it off and whoever whoever's you know mixing or whoever says you know what i don't really like that I, i just wish it was just like a normal sound then they can pull those back in yep and then do whatever with them so that way it's not like three weeks later after i've already torn down this kit and you know who knows what else has happened um they don't come back and go yeah can you re-record this and you know right (laughs) yeah options well-defined options yeah exactly so that's for home recording you know when you're just switching things in and out all the time that's that's been a big a big thing for me is like being efficient and also uh, giving enough options, which is why, you know, I'm recording 12 to 16 microphones at a time. Right. Not that you're going to use all of them. Usually not. No, not at all. I mean, yeah. sometimes it's sometimes there's been things where I literally mute everything except for like three mics. Yeah. Sometimes two mics. Yeah. Those are usually my favorite sounds. Totally. Yeah. It's just because it's just cool. It just sounds cool, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Got a vibe. Yeah. But because again, your drums are, are making the sound. Yeah. A lot of You're, it. Yeah. That's yeah. like the old joke. Like, uh, in someone, what's, I, I always heard it was Ray Brown, you know? Oh man, your bass sounds so good. Oh yeah. How's it sound now? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think that's the perfect, uh, that's the perfect stopping point right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You make the sound. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. All these could go on for like hours. You know what I mean? Yeah. How long have you been talking? An hour. Just Over about an hour. hour. Yeah. 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 That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I congratulate anyone that's made it to the end. <laughs> Hopefully you've learned something. You made it entertaining, man. Hey, you made it entertaining. Well, I think you did. were 51% of it. Okay, well, <laughs> I'll take it. 